Hello, and welcome to the Project Good podcast. I'm your host, Anne-Marie Hilton. Project Good is a social impact podcast interviewing experts and advocates about the pressing problems that we face globally and hearing how they suggest we move forward in the future. The Project Good podcast is brought to you by Project Good Work. The goal of this podcast is to inspire people and organizations to develop a mindset that can move others to positive action regarding the complex social issues facing people and the planet. For September, we're focusing on civics. In the years leading up to and since the 2020 pandemic, civil discord and unrest has become a common feature of everyday society. It seems these days everyone has an expert opinion on nearly every social justice or social impact matter. It is clear that change is needed in almost all walks of life currently, but few know how to use the tools to get there. Knowing about how your government works used to be a subject that was taught throughout many schools, but for recent generations, it's become sidelined. It's been replaced by social media and quick news outlets. Due to this change, it's leading many people to ask the question, what do we stand for in the United States? Today, I have the pleasure of interviewing Alyssa Brown, who is the founder of Civics Essentials Education Fund, with the mission of building and fostering and informed citizens in the United States. Let's get into the interview. Understanding civics is vital for citizens to actively participate in democracy, make informed decisions, protect individual rights, hold governments accountable, foster civic engagement, promote social cohesion. It empowers individuals to become responsible and active participants in their communities, contributing to the betterment of society as a whole. Today, we're going to do a deep dive with Civic Essentials founder, Alyssa Brown. Welcome, Alyssa. Hi, Emory. It's great to meet you. Hi, how are you? I am great. I am great. Thanks so much for having me. Yes. So before we get diving into the interview, I always want to know kind of how people, um, you know, got to be who they are. Um, so, you know, um, civics, you know, even saying the the word civics, um, it reminds me, I guess, because I'm a, a bit older and I, I used to know that it was like an additional class that you could take um, in, in uh, school growing up, particularly, I would say, um, high school is where they, uh, you know, um, had civics. You would take it in addition to your history class um, and, and dive deep into government. Um, so it's interesting to me, I guess, that you are bringing something um, that is, I'll say for, I guess, lack of a better term, old school, um, uh, back. Uh, so what uh, made you fall in love with civics? Well, I'd say old school is exactly the way to think of it because I got into civics, I would say, in the way old school folks did, which was the church. Um, so I remember as a super young person, i.e. a child, um, working with my mom on volunteer opportunities, missions. Um, I remember when Katrina hit, we did a lot of social good work with with my church and then of course the campaign for obama my church was very very involved um and then so i knew from a young age the joy um and the importance of being civically engaged from there it just kind of grew my uh i started getting interested in journalism particularly political journalism. Then I went to college for political science, got my master's in politics and public policy. And since then, I haven't been able to leave it alone. 
Uh, I think about every once in a while, I'm like, oh, I'm burnt out. It's too much. I have to step away. And then something happens where I can't sit still or stand back. So I just kind of tumble right back into it. Yeah. And that's, uh, you know, and uh, I love right now for um, civics and understanding uh, government is highly, highly, highly needed. Um, you know, um, sort of like what I was mentioning in the intro is that we now live in a society where, you know, this is uh, what I'm seeing anyways. And I think a lot of people see it is that everybody's an expert <laughs> on right. everything. And it, it just, you know, um, and if we want to be, I guess you would say uh, real, um, that's not, that's not possible. Right. <laughs> we only have so no, much time. <laughs> and yeah. so not, you know, even though everybody would like to think they are, it's just, it's just not possible. We all have the same amount of time. So there's no way that, you know, um, each person has uh, had the ability to jump into all these different um, uh, social issues and, you know, um, and knows all the ins and outs of them. And so, uh, you know, especially here in the U.S., you know, um, even though our, our podcast reaches a global audience, the U.S. right now is definitely under a microscope, especially after, um, I would say, uh, the last administration um, that we had, uh, which yeah. was um, uh, a deviation um, from uh, what I guess our, our image had been. Um, out in the U.S. and also, um, I guess, even the way that we engaged uh, with um, different countries around the world. I don't know. There's uh, lots of things I could say. <laughs> yeah, no, there is. And I think we could start really with that first part, right? Everybody can't be an expert in everything. I completely agree. Um, but I think where we as citizens kind of find our duty and our obligation is just to simply know how things work. Most of the time in our democracy, there are a certain set of tools um, that we have that really influence any issue we want to focus on, right? I think we focus, for instance, on voting a lot, but there are other things like petitions, um, reaching out to your representatives, speaking to your representatives, town halls, um, I like to think of the media as well as an institution because of the amount of influence it has on our kind of political atmosphere. But all of that um, are kind of the same tools and it doesn't matter whether you're trying to get something done on climate change, reproductive rights, or voting rights, right? All of those things are probably gonna use the same tools. So that's one of the reasons kind of why we approach civics in a very kind of practical hands-on way is because our thinking is if we teach you the tools, you can go and use them in whatever areas you know best, employment, union law, whatever, whatever you're passionate about, we can give you the tools to make that influence. And then, I completely lean into what you're saying about that global aspect, because when I did my master's, I did my master's in Paris, France, um, at a school called Sciences Po. And I remember spending a lot of my time in graduate school defending uh, the U.S. in whatever ways I could. <laughs> um, and it was hard because the administration we had before this one did challenge norms. And 
I think what we realized as a country were two things, right? One, there are gaps in our laws that we've just kind of depended on morality or decency or uh, common sense or self-control to to fix, right? We just said that because people don't want people to think badly of them, they'll do the right thing. But <laughs> none of that was codified in law, right? And so it became essential with this administration that there be actual boundaries. Um, and I think that's probably the best thing that came out of it. And two slash last is that we figured out that our public is very apathetic until it's an emergency. And that can't work in a democracy. The whole reason we love democracy and um, think it's so great in our country is because it requires the engagement of our public because if the public isn't engaged or thinks of the government as this thing outside of them, there is a certain disconnect where then the government does become this whole beast outside of the per- the people. And that doesn't work for a people-powered system of government. You bring up a really good point um, in the fact that um, – you know, a lot of people in their apathy. And um, I think I started, uh, it started opening my mind in a different type of way because right now in, well, just across the globe in, in general, but well, since we're focused on the U.S., we are in a period of, um, uh, I would say, uh, what I'm going to call, I'm just making this up, what I call conflicting generations. And what I mean by that is uh, conflicting generations and how we um, interpret uh, language, um, how we interpret actions, and then what it takes to get things done. Because we are in a gener, we're we're meeting head on the um, an older generation where there was, uh, I guess you know, a system of uh, paper and walking and process, and now we're in. A, uh, coming next to a generation that is looking at automation, technology, instant uh, gratification, because they don't know a world without technology. And so that apathy, I think what we're talking about, is also coming up against a, a period of time of great, um, uh, you know, um, uh, a change from a technological standpoint that's also causing maybe a disconnect um, with uh, people because they don't, um, uh, I think there's been so many studies like, because if you're just uh, interacting then all the time on a phone or a computer and things like that, you have a disconnect of uh, understanding uh, uh, your fellow humans, which then leads to an apathy like, oh, it doesn't matter. Um so you brought up, a, I started just uh, diving deep in a, in a different direction because you, it, it's like I had a, um, I guess I'm going to use the phrase, an aha moment. Um, <laughs> yeah. I had an aha moment of, you know, this apathy is just, it's more than just getting people. I think there's something, there's something more serious happening. And you just opened my eyes to that right now. Um <laughs> Yes, I agree. Yeah, no, I'm happy to chime in here. I think they, the apathy slash technological change, I think are are kind of 
one and the same. I like how you kind of interwove them. And I think it's mostly because you have to remember government was never meant to work as fast as we've faced changes in the last 10 to 20 years. Um, The speed at which the internet has allowed for information sharing was not ever even thought of when our government was founded, right? They had the telegraph, they had people riding on horses, giving mail, right? They had time before information spread. And usually that time allowed for a lot of stuff to happen where by the time that information got there, people may not have cared um, or it wasn't worth the energy it took to transport. So say for instance, things like, Uh, the president falling down, right? Or um, the president getting sick or the president being sick, period. Those types of things were a lot easier to keep a lid on when our institution, our government first started. It didn't rely on media. Um, And so I think now when we have a world where campaigns are done by humans, who have done human things and lived very long lives before they ever run. And when they run, their entire lives get weighed on this scale. Um, Everything from really, and honestly, nothing has been off limits, right? I'd say from like 18 to 70, I guess, is what most of our presidential candidates range. Um, 18 to 70, all of that, all of those moves, all of every action and decision you've made in that time becomes subject to public ire, opinion, and judgment. And I think that is a really hard space to be on for any human because, I mean, I'm only 26 and I'm already like, oh, there are some things that I would need some distance from. <laughs> I'm able to run for president in any day or form, right? And so I think. We kind of, yes, we have to give a little bit of leeway, um, but also I think when it comes to engaging different generations of folks, we have to understand that, unfortunately, government works closer to how our old school folks are used to than our new school folks, right? Government doesn't take likes or virality the way they take votes and marches, Right. The way they it just doesn't weigh the same. The way boycotts work against a person's money is not the same as like an ad campaign necessarily, because if you've still got so many people falling off the wagon, you're not going to have the effect of a Montgomery bus boycott. Right. Because you had everybody off that bus. And it was everybody who could see everybody and keep people accountable. We can't keep people accountable on the Internet. Right. You can't see your friend. Your friend could buy something from that store and hide it and not mention it for a year and a half. Right. Or take a picture and say the picture was from, oh, that was before it started. Right. There's no way to keep people accountable. And so, unfortunately, sometimes we have to rely on those old tools slash see how we can make new tools work for us with a government whose technology and in a lot of ways, people are from an age that is no longer, you know, front and center or the majority of the population. Yes. And so well, this, is, this is the the perfect segue 
um, into about, you know, um, understanding, uh, because, you know, the, the thing, obviously, everybody's screaming, we see the protest signs, we see it on the news, everybody wants change, 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 right? But, um, <laughs> but we can't obviously just go there in an instant. So I guess, how, how can we get, I guess, people interested in uh, looking at these uh, tools that may seem in some ways antiquated, but knowing that we have to look at them in order to update them. Um, and I, I guess, how do you get people in, uh, wanting to be involved in learning about how their government works? A uh, couple, couple ways. One, I always say start with what affects you every day, right? What is one way that the government touches you, right, that actually affects your day-to-day that you would like to see change. An easy way to think about that is if you live, for instance, in a Southern state, I live in Texas, um, Dallas specifically, and we have, our public transit system is nothing like a New York or DC, right? It doesn't let you off at, you know, always the easiest spots, right? Or the best places for your commute. So say, for instance, you go to work every day and you're like, dang, I hate having to walk two miles to my nearest bus stop. Start there, right? Because the government has a huge part in where those um, stops are placed, where things are, where what lines run, right? Start with something that would affect your day to day. If your sis or your area or community doesn't have a park, let's talk about how to get it a park. Um, if you need trash cans in your area, because it's just really dirty, I always say the best way to tell how much money a government is putting into an area is see how many trash cans you find. It's also a good real estate tip for people out there. Really. Um, if there are trash cans around, the government is putting money into an area because those trash cans have to be maintained and they have to be like picked up and disposed of. Like, those are things that are easy and you can see easy results. Right. Because most of the time a, a representative, especially a local representative, you can get 10, 20 folks together. Say, hey, I can guarantee you these 10 or 20 folks votes in the next election. If you can get me a trash kit, parks are a little more difficult. You may need 100, 200 folks to make a move. Right. But still. Most of the time, government has money, and at least those people can point you in the right direction, especially if your area is not particularly maintained. It may be just nobody has asked, right? Sometimes the power of asking is just as important as just expecting the government to know what you need, right? So start small and start local is kind of the first way. The second way is don't focus on things that on big things that people feel like they have no control over. You have to break it down. Um, There are a lot of things that are happening in this world that are extremely important. Climate change, reproductive rights, right? That are really big fights that require in some ways a little bit of knowledge of, of extra kind of advanced knowledge of the state level system, the federal system, and what and the judicial system in particular, that may seem out of reach to a lot of beginners, right? So I always say like break it all the way down. 
right? If your biggest issue um, or your biggest concern is climate change and the expression of that in your community is there's no crosswalk for geese, let's start with that, right? Let's get some crosswalks for those geese. Um, Or maybe it's there is not enough um, or there's an issue with like the water in your area. Start there. Um, Or there's a lake or a pond that needs to be cleaned because it runs out into, you know, a bigger water source. Start there. That can make things that are huge feel easier to make some moves on. And if everybody is doing that, it may seem small, but if everybody is doing that, I promise you, then everything gets done. The issue right now is we don't have, we have a lot of people who are doing nothing when all we want is them to do a little bit and they think we're asking them to do everything. And that's not the answer. Yes, I I love your answer of, you know, start um, with something that is, you know, uh, uh, close to you, um, uh, doable, um, and, you know, don't try to get overwhelmed because um, that is actually, uh, you know, that was going to lead me kind of to the next question of why you think that, you know, people are, uh, you know, getting into uh, uh, arguments or discord but uh, you kind of answered in that way, I think, because people are, um, you know, getting overwhelmed by these huge problems. Yes, they're huge, like climate change. No way that I can fix climate change, right? Uh, and you can't fix climate right. change on yourself either. It's just like, you know, we're like a speck of dust in the middle of a, a, a universe. <laughs> or how could I like go and say, you know, uh, we're not Superman or Superwoman and can go outside of the planet and be like, oh, let me turn it correctly or something, right? Right, 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 right. Let me just shade you from the sun a little bit. You're fine. (laughs) Right, right, exactly. And so I think, um, you know, when we start looking at problems like that, like, oh my gosh, you know, I got to go save the rainforest and the ocean and, you know, go yell at my neighbor who doesn't recycle and I got to go run over here, make sure that we're not using, uh, you know, uh, plastic grocery bag. You start to just feel like I give up because you're like, I can't be everywhere at once. Right. (laughs) No, I agree. And I think probably the biggest the biggest thing I'll say also about partisanship and like arguing with your neighbor, I Uh tell people this you got to get over the thought that you need to be right. And that's like super hard. That's super hard. But I start every argument slash discussion, because it usually doesn't become an argument with people who don't agree with me with, let's say you're right. Right. Because most people, they just want to be right. And sometimes (laughs) I lean into that. But if you're going to do any good, you can't be right. You can't, your ultimate goal can't be to be right. You have to let other people be right and say, but, and I love it. This is the way I always frame that sentence. Let's say you're right, but what happens after that? Right. So let's say, for instance, they're, they're saying, well, you know, this isn't really causing climate change or climate change isn't real. Okay. Let's say you're right. We still have a 
beach that is, you know, <laughs> is is moving away and deteriorating. We still need to fix that. Even if what you're saying is, sure, we don't have climate change. Sure, climate change isn't the reason. That's wrong. But let's say you're right. I'm not going to sit there and argue that question with you because it doesn't affect or fix the problem that's at hand. And you'll end up with people that are like, oh, well, I can, I don't feel, I don't have a problem with helping you fix this beach or, you know, clean up garbage on this beach. Sure. Let's do that because that's the action you actually need done. Stop being obsessed. And I think that's a lot of our problem in Washington as well. People care more about being right than getting stuff done, than taking care of people, than solving a public good. Um, and I, I don't care about being right. I'll be wrong all day long if the stuff gets if the stuff gets done. Um, and sometimes the answer is you know you're right, but you still have to be okay with somebody saying like, yeah, no, you're wrong, but and I'm right, and it's like, sure, be right, but let's get this done. I love that. You know, um, it, it's so it's it's it's, it's so simple, um, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but needing in the society, I'm going to start using your tagline. Let's just say you're right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which is yeah. A, let's start, is let's just, start from there, which, right? Because it instantly, it instantly like takes somebody like, well, they they can't argue back with that because you just said they're right, so they're like, um, okay, uh, now they yeah. listen. Now they listen right. to you. Yes, right. I love that. Um, and that is like, uh, uh, that's, uh, I love it. It's so simple. And, and, and yeah, you should make a t-shirt out of like, <laughs> out of that one. Like, no, I love it. I think I came, I will tell you the story behind that. It was a hard story to come or a hard realization to come to, which was I grew up or I went to school, um, at a all white Catholic school here in Texas and private school at that. And uh -huh. I wrote the political corner and the case for the Hobby Lobby Supreme Court case was happening. And I wanted to write about it in the school paper, um, but it was about birth control, of course. Uh -huh. And the church is, of course, against birth control. Um, and I was like, OK, but how can I still write about this? How can I, i.e., sidestep administration's issues? And my answer was, okay, let's say you're right. Let's say that this is some type of huge infringement on your religious right, right? But the issue is going to be the precedent that this case will set allows any other religion that has issues with any other type of medical service to refuse to play, pay for it, right? So let's say a religion, any religion, has an issue with blood transfusion. You've now got a whole set of employees who cannot get their, their company-paid insurance to pay for blood transfusion. And most people would say that that is not good, right? So the, then the question becomes, it's not about whether or not you're right on this particular issue. It's whether or not this is a good precedent to set for the rest of the country. Mm -hmm. And so that's how you kind of frame that conversation for those who are looking to have it with their neighborhood, um, I guess, opposition, which is that's how you have it. You really have to understand 
you really have to agree that they're right or you have to say, lay that foundation, but look at the consequences of being right. Is the, are the consequences good enough that you're okay with letting the rest of it spiral out of control um, or hurt all of these other people just for the sake of being right? And most people's answer is no. Most people are going to say, no, people shouldn't have to pay for blood transfusions if they have insurance. That's the whole point of insurance. Then it's like, okay, see how that just, so it doesn't work. The answer should still be that that's not a case that you want ruled in, in that way because of the precedent it sets. Yes. Um, yeah, you make such great points. <laughs> I'm like thinking as you're saying things I'm like uh you have such good common sense I wish we all did yeah I think but I think sometimes it's it's not that we we don't sometimes it's simply that nobody has taken the time to to jolt us out of the rhetoric right the rhetoric is like a merry-go-round you continue to go round and round until someone kind of knocks it off the track or stops it, right? And so as long as you feel like you have to be this defense or you have to stay on script, I'm going to pull you off script. I'm going to put you in a spot. I'm going to reconfigure this conversation so that you can't stay on script because there's no script for what I just said. Nobody expects you to say, okay, fine, sure, have at it. Nobody expects that. And as a result, people do, they're forced to think themselves the same way that you had to kind of pause and be like, oh, yeah, that that's the same way that people in everyday conversation have to pause. Um, and if you know your cause well, if you know your niche, whether it's those geese um, or reproductive rights or um, voting rights, if you know your niche well, because it's local and it affects you, um, there's real, you can tell them those consequences easily, right? The consequences of you being right are this, is it worth it? And most of the time people are going to say, no, what are the other options? Um, so, you know, with, with this, uh, um, new ability, I guess, for uh, if people would take that time to think, Maybe, well, I think, I don't even think maybe we probably wouldn't have, we probably wouldn't have gotten to where we are currently here in the U.S. <laughs> yeah, no, I think you have to remember a lot of, a lot of America was built or the lot, a lot of the circumstance that allowed American democracy to thrive um, when it was just the experiment, like globally, this American experiment is not a um, an exaggeration. People didn't think it was going to work. But one of the reasons political scientists found that it worked was that there was this free flow of information in colonial America where middle class, poor, and fairly rich people were kind of all in similar places discussing politics. It was like, it's kind of like the saloon, right? Because a new America didn't have the luxury of separating our classes. So people ended up with this kind of flow or exchange of information that made democracy work. We've gotten to a place in our in our history and our time where those barriers are easier to read resurrect, right? Similar to how, you know, France has its upper echelon back when, you know, Louis 
was ruling, all of that, right? Those those hard changes in class, we've been able to kind of put those back in place. There's still that American dream and freedom to move between classes if you work really, really hard. But are we really listening to each other? Not in the same way we used to, I would argue. And so because of that, we have lost the thing that made us great in a lot of ways, or we reframe the thing that made us great. And we think that democracy works like AI or works uh, like in an automated system. And it doesn't. I have this one thing that I always repost on civics's page, which is democracy is hard work, right? It's, it's wonderful. And I love it. And I still think it's one of the best systems of government, but it's not easy. Um, And so for our system to thrive, for us to continue to be this like beacon of of, um, power for the people and the people controlling their own destiny. And, you know, there's this one guy who always talks, it's this quote, it's like, as long as men are not angels, I'm paraphrasing, basically neither will government be, right? Men are not angels. We are not perfect. So government can't be perfect because we are government, right? We're the thing controlling what is ruling over us, supposedly. So we have to be better um, and put our best foot forward in those efforts, um, which means taking a little more time (laughs) in doing our part um, to make sure that democracy continues to go around and thrive in our country. Do you feel that we are in the danger of a collapsing government? Not. <laughs> oh, you have pulled, have pulled me back to my pol- political science days. I think we saw some great things um, with the transition of power, right? I think my answer would be very different if the last transition of power did not go well, <laughs> right? <laughs> if, um, and then you had to be from a different country at that yeah. point. Yeah, if, um, if, the, if Jan 6 had resulted in there either not being a transition of power or violence um, directly on the people that... Um, like we're taking power, I would have a different answer for you. But what we're taught in political science is basically there's kind of a formula to it, which is weird to say, but there is, right? Um, Usually one of the things that protects our democracy in particular, or our republic, because we have a representative democracy in official terms, um, not a pure democracy, What protects our representative democracy for now is that the military is not completely reliant upon the executive branch, i.e. the president cannot, uh, is not responsible for like the pay of our military um, and they are able thus to say no, (laughs) right? They can say no to the president as a a branch, as a working power, right? And so that is extremely important because if an order is ever given um, to fire on the people, the government, the military has to feel comfortable enough and independent enough to say no, 
right? In governments where they are on breach of collapse, usually there is either a authoritarian leader or, you know, or just a leader in general that is over the military that feels comfortable firing on its own people. As long as we don't cross that line, America is mostly redeemable. We are, we are probably going to be okay. So I say that to say, that's not what we're dealing with. What we're dealing with right now is a, a system that is struggling, is, has growing pains, basically. Um, <laughs> America is young compared to a lot of other institutions. And you could call this like voice cracking puberty if you want to take the metaphor um, and kind of extend it, which is America is growing. We're trying to figure out what sticks and what doesn't. We're trying to figure out what are the things that put us in danger and what are the things that don't. Um, and as we as we kind of work through those growing pains, there are going to be upheavals and uprisings and um, and shifts and changes in power and how we sit in the rest of the world and all of that. Um, and so that's the big that's what I would characterize us as going through right now. America is facing a lot of growing pains. Um, and as a teenager, we have what we can either, <laughs> you know, continue forth and become, you know, good citizens of our, you know, international community, or we can go the other direction and become also not great citizens of our international community. And I think right now we're okay because people were scared about what the other option looked like, right? We stayed out a little too late and we saw what that looked like and we were home before, well, after the street lights came on, but not before the sun came up. <laughs> and so I, yeah, that's a really great metaphor. Um, and so that's, that's what we're dealing with, right? We're dealing with the aftermath of being a little grounded, i.e. COVID, grounded, um, and, and trying to make it, and trying to kind of regain the trust of the rest of the international community. As long as we don't act out anymore, right? As long as we continue to try and make good choices for ourselves, to think through, and that doesn't, and I don't want it to seem like either that that good choice means, oh, you have to put a Democrat in office. No, we just have to make responsible choices. We have to vote in people, not just presidents, right? Because presidents also bring in judges and, but we also vote for representatives in our house, but also representatives of our state, governors, mayors, all of that. We have to bring in people that represent what we want our country to look like not who we want to see on reality TV, not who we want to sit down and have a beer with, not who, you know, would be a fun girlfriend to catch brunch with, right? Those aren't great, um, aren't great characteristics for a leader, right? We have to pick, in a lot of ways, it would be the maternal friend, the friend that makes sure we lock up the door when we're going out, the friend that gets us back home, 
We're looking for those responsible characteristics in our leaders. We're looking for leaders who work well with others. We are looking for leaders that don't care about being right. They care about doing good for you and creating like a list of characteristics for yourself of what a good leader looks like will help you vote a lot easier because then it doesn't matter what your party is saying, right? You can look at the candidates and say, do you exemplify these characteristics? And you can choose those characteristics. If you want somebody who's a family man, great. If you want somebody who's traditional or conservative, great. If you want somebody who, um, you know, has been in the system for a long time, great. Those are your choices to make, but make them well, because that's going to be eventually overall as an aggregate. That's the type of system we get because we are made up of the people. Yes, I we like, I like that, um, you have like, uh, um, well, what do they call like your, um, I don't want to call it a, uh, uh, it's like, um, how do they, uh, like when you're, uh, selecting a mate? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> your characteristics that you're looking for. Yes. You have your green flags and your red flags. And <laughs> those are, yeah. those are also, they're great for a mate, but they're also great for, I just think it makes it easier to vote. Because there are a bunch of stuff you got to vote for. There's a bunch of things people are going to ask you and a bunch of different people. And you don't know these people from Adam, right? Let's not act like you have time to, like, even I, who's like down in the weeds in this, I don't have time to look up every single person that's voting. But what I do look at is uh, if I look at this person and I look at the materials they've put out, so I sent to my mailbox. Um, and they're paid, right? What are the characteristics that they're touting about themselves? And what are the things that people around them are saying? That's all you need to know. I'm less of a policy forward voter. True. Do you have your red flags or your things that um, that are like no-goes for you? Similar to a mate, right? Some people, if you don't have a job, then it's a no-go. Like, I will not go forward. For me, with politicians, mine is like, it's really important to me that you see every human as as um, deserving of dignity and rights, right? So anything that you support that would endanger the dignity um, and livelihood, right, of any type of person is probably going to be a hard no for me. But... <laughs> Um, <laughs> that may not be everybody's uh, cup of tea, right? Some people are like, well, and, and you're, you're, you get to have your opinions, right? Like nobody is saying that you can't have your opinions. But if you're saying like, no, I don't think, uh, I don't think that it's important that we put money toward, um, climate change because we have more pressing issues and that's just not a priority, right? Maybe then your hard stop is somebody who acts like climate change is the end all be all. That's a choice you can make, right? I don't know if everybody's going to make that choice. I kind of hope they don't. But <laughs> if that is, that, that, that is your choice to make. That's why we have a democracy. Yes. And so you, you bring up two things. Um, but, uh, but I think people need to think about one of them is where should people be getting their information to make their decisions? 
Um, I think that's uh, I think that's what's driving most people. They get their, you know, I don't know, they they read something, they see something, and then they've got a, you know, they're now an expert and have this opinion. So where should people be getting their information? Everywhere. <laughs> um, I know that sounds terrible, but it's true. Um, you should not get your information from one source ever, 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 ever. If you need to be a person that has, I'm always like, get two extremes. Like if you only feel like you can consume two um, sources of information, put Fox News and MSNBC on your phone as your apps and read them both. Read the exact same topic, the exact same story on both. I promise you, you will find more commonality than you think. Um, But that will give you If you read between the lines and combine those two, a good middle ground, right? You can see where stuff doesn't work or where stuff isn't the same, right? And you can be like, oh, okay, let me look that up separately to see who else has anything to say about this. If you're really concerned about that particular point, right? That's what you do. You need multiple sources. You should never... Take something that you see at one in one place and run with it. I would never tell somebody something that I have only seen ever in one article on, you know, random sites. .org, .gov, .edu are always good sources. Um, .coms, double check, especially if you're not familiar with it. If it says something, and I steer away from partisan sites in general, Right. So if it's, you know, fighting for the left dot com, eh, probably not going to be one of my regular sources or fighting for the right dot com. Also, probably not going to be one of my regular sources. Um, figure out keywords that are associated with the different parties so that you can avoid being dog whistled and manipulated. Right. Um <laughs> I always tell my mother this. I love the American flag, but there is always like at a certain point, there's just an, there are certain places that have like just an unnecessary amount of American flags. And that is always a red flag to me. Um, so like uh, I always say, find, figure out what are the signals and symbols that may be telling you something about a place without telling you something so I'm black and in the South, and that one of the reasons why I have that red flag rule is because it can keep me from walking into a place that would be a danger to me. Um, and so you have to figure out for yourself what are the things that are green lights for you and red and red flags for you. Uh, I, I I just I, I love listening to you because uh, there are not so many people who are just uh, straightforward, direct, um, uh, common sense, uh, easy. Um, and, uh, you know, this takes me to um, the, the question that I have to I, I think I have to touch on because when we're talking about um, government and, and change and uh, representation um, how, um, I guess, uh, and, and especially we, you know, when we started this discussion, we, uh, mentioned apathy. So how do we entwine, um, like, uh, uh, diversity and civics? I think, um, 
that's because I think a lot of times people just give up. Like they're like, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not being represented or, you know, um, it's not about me or it's all against me. So what would you say to a, a diverse audience of how they're related and the importance? Uh, one is if you don't see yourself represented, you can run for office, find somebody in your circle that you think would be a good leader, encourage them to run for office. Um, I will say a lot of the reason why there are issues with sometimes diversity in representation is I'd say two main things, one money and politics. <laughs> so it takes money to run for office. Um, in today's world. And if you don't have the funds to do those campaigns and travel and meet voters, it can be really, really hard to get enough votes, not just on a state level, even on a local level to make a dent. Um, so there's that. So rally around one person, bring all your community with you and put that person in office, especially at a local level. Uh, another option is apply for offices. There are boards and committees. Um, like I know Parks and Rec is a, a fun one. Um, there's always usually like an arts and culture board in your city. Most of those are decided by um, governors or mayors, depending on the system. Do a little bit of research, apply for those boards. You don't have to be elected. You just have to have some kind of um, experience in that area. Try and get on the board. See who making, who's making the decisions. Send them a personalized letter. See how the system works. There are organizations in most areas that are happy to help you figure out how to get into those slots. Um, so in some ways, it's the cheesy, be the change you want to see. Um, the other more, I guess, transparent slash realist side of me says, um, as long as people do not take the system seriously, the system will not take them seriously. So, i.e., if you are part of a subculture or a group that is kind of like anti-government or doesn't see the point of government and doesn't vote and, you know, doesn't interact with the system, doesn't believe in the laws. Unfortunately, the government, like the government can't represent you because as we've said, it is the people, right? So it is only as much input as you and your community put in that you're going to get out. Um, I know sometimes I hear a lot of people have problems or concerns they're like um there are a lot of mentions of like the black base right when it comes to campaign season from the democrats and as a result there may not always be a lot of uh, mention of like the AAP, aapi communities or other sub uh, other ethnicities or smaller groups um, that are also represented in the United States and have a huge impact. I would say part of that is sometimes the Black community makes a lot of noise. Um, and that noise that we make translates a lot of time into political influence. And we've been working to make that noise for a long, long time. It wasn't overnight. 
right? We rattled around before civil rights era and nobody cared or listened. Um, and so that's one of the reasons why there's always this big, is the black block voting in a specific way? Because that's what, that was a, is a group that makes a lot of noise. Get with your group and make some noise. Um, I'm always encouraging of that. It doesn't matter what your group is. Your group could be, you know, I know I was always, I was really interested when the Roe decision came, um, was overturned and you had um, a subculture of witches who actually made headlines because they were talking about how important it was to keep um, the Roe thing alive. Like, I'm not a witch and I'm Christian, but I thought it was amazing to see that group of women, uh, that subculture in America standing up for what they believed in. So, I mean, I say that all the way around, right? So if you have a subculture, an ethnicity that you feel like is not represented, that your ideas and thoughts are not part of the mainstream, fight for them. Um, and I, I think people will say, like, you should put limits on that. Um and I choose not to for the same reason that we talked about before. I'd rather have the consequences of limiting who can make noise and who can make sure that their um, subculture or ethnicity are represented. It closes out too many other people. So I don't put restrictions on that. You can agree with me. You can disagree with me. Um, and I still want you to be represented in our government to help us make good decisions for everybody. Yes. And so, you know, um, I like that you are telling people to, you know, get up, take action. Don't just, you know, uh, 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 complain, um, go out and actually do something. Um, and so your organization, uh, Civic um, Essentials, uh, you know, helps people uh, not feel, I would say, overwhelmed and feel educated or know where to go. So can you tell us a little bit about your organization? I guess start from the beginning and then how yeah. you help, help and teach people. Yeah, so I can start from the very beginning, which is actually touches on what you said during your question is my mom has this rule in our house. Um, if you're not going to do something, you can't complain about it. So that will tell you one of the reasons why I vote every chance I get. Again, I'm not perfect, but every chance I get, I vote because I want the right at the very least to complain about it. Um, and civics was kind of a result of that as well. I thought it was important that people know this information, who that they know how their government works, that they know... Um, how to influence their government and make sure their voices are heard. And when I first got out of college, I wasn't doing anything about that, right? I was sitting here kind of high and mighty on my pedestal being like, well, I know it. Why doesn't everyone else? Um, and it became very clear to me, right, that people, there were organizations that were providing it in the same way that I wanted it provided. They were giving you stuff that you could Google easily, right? I don't care if students know who the 35th president was. That type of fact is not going to make a difference on whether or not you vote. Um, so I wanted an organization 
that incorporated the history told people why systems were like they were um, so that they could make a decision on their own about whether or not it was time for them to change. And so that's what we do at Civics, right? We focus on um, telling and, and educating people through workshops, through courses on what tools you have at your best disposal to influence your government on a local, state, and national level, and what those tools, um, what the history is behind those tools, why they work the way they work, um, so that people in our classes can then make a decision about whether or not those tools should continue to exist in that form, whether they need modifying, amend, amending, changing, um, and also just to work within that system, right? Like you may not be able to change that tool right this minute, but at least you know now how to get the best use out of it so that you and your community have a voice in, in what used to be a kind of um, vague behind house type of system. I love that. Um you know, uh, giving people the ability, not just, you know, it won't be a, um, you know, well, I loved history, but, um, for, I guess a lot of people, they didn't love history. Um, they just were like, you know, a bunch of facts that I have to remember, memorize and take a test on and, you know, and have passed or whatever, or they felt like it was a jeopardy test. Um, but, uh, but, but giving people the action tools that are relevant to, you know, whatever cause or situation they find themselves in and showing them how they can navigate the system or understand the system to either change it or work within it um, to, you know, do whatever they want to do. Um, because, as you mentioned before, the government is the people. So we make the rules of, you know, how we want our lives to um, ago, even though sometimes we think that, uh, you know, it's other, other, other powers, but it's, you know, us, the people as a collective, um, yep. yeah, we have to remember that's, that's our, our, our line is, uh, we, the people. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, and so, uh, I have two more questions. Um, okay. one is uh, pretty practical. So how do people, uh, I guess, join your program? Yeah, so um, right now we are not taking new students for classes, but if you are interested in um, bringing us to you for workshops, um, we are happy to do those. You can find us at www.civicessentials.org. Um, we're online. We are happy to help however we can. There's a contact form there. So if you're interested, just put your name, your organization's name, um, and tell us like when and where the workshop would need to be, that kind of information. You can also email us at um, civicessentials at gmail.com. We do that to keep it simple so that people can always find us. Um, so yeah, so if you need us, let us know. We're happy to bring all information um to to where you or your students or your scholars are i will say most of our stuff is geared towards high school juniors and seniors but we have done a couple specialized workshops for folks um from anywhere from fourth to adults uh, to 21 <laughs> 
So um, if you need either a lower level or more advanced course, just let us know. We're happy to to bring, you know, meet you guys where where you are. I love that. Even four-year-olds, but yeah, I guess these days, four-year-olds are starting companies and everything. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> well, important to know how to navigate. Um, so uh, the final uh, question, it's, uh, I don't know, it's not really necessarily a fun one, but it's uh, about um, uh, some things come to the uh, election of 2024 is just around the corner. Um, so I guess, uh, how will Civic Essentials uh, help or, or how do you plan to be involved? Because uh, I'm just, this is just me uh, feeling um, that in, inside that I think 2024 is going to be another interesting election year. Yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be great. Um, but I always <laughs> say election years are, are always telling moments, our pulse checks with, with how the country's feeling. Um, what civics will be doing is we'll be encouraging people to um, bring workshops to their students, to bring workshops to their scholars so that they have at least some type of inkling about what's happening around them at the time. Um, that's why our kind of specialized workshops are the best way um, to do that because we can change with the current events and bring those events into the conversation. Secondly, we'll be encouraging people to make those lists, right? You're going to see a lot of information about candidates flooding social media, uh, the internet, your phone, because text messages from the different parties. Um, there are already 10 plus candidates that are potentially going to run in the primaries. Um, so it's going to be a lot of stuff to sort through, a lot of people to sort through, a lot of news headlines to sort through, um, not to mention all of the other judicial system issues that are going to be happening alongside of it. So what we're going to be encouraging people to do is make those lists, right? Find your characteristics that are important to you and start to follow the candidates that most closely resemble those characteristics. Keep an eye on their policies, their um, uh, their thought process, their ability to work with others. And then last but not least, get out, make sure you've got your, your red flag and green flag list outside of your characteristic list. Um, and make sure that they don't hit any of your stop, go, like no, will not go any further. Um, and then see how many of your green flags that they, they showcase so that you can make a good informed decision to make sure the people that you pick, that you vote for, whether or not they win or not, make sure the people that you vote for reflect the America you want to see. I love it. Perfect answer. Uh, thank you, Alyssa, for your time and insight. If you'd like to learn more about Ms. Brown, you can go to civicessentials.org. If you have a passion for an underserved community, a social justice problem, or simply want to change minds, contact Project Good Work at projectgood.org to start your project of change today. We'd like to send our deepest gratitude to our ongoing show supporter, Blair Chapman. Subscribe to our mailing list at projectgood.org dot word slash subscribe to get our episodes and blog articles sent to you each month 
Plus, get a 10% discount on any project you start on projectgood.org. Are you part of the Project Good Changemaker Worker community? Sign up today at projectgood.org. To our listeners, thanks for listening and tuning in to Project Good, where we'll focus on what matters. Music.